Corner Fringe Ministries presents Discover Your Calling into Israel, Part 5 by Daniel Joseph. Enjoy. Five of uh, discovering your calling into the natural olive tree, into the tree of Israel. And this calling into Israel, our calling to get back to our Hebraic roots, back to the first century church, if you take anything away from this study, take this. That calling, it begins and it ends with Yeshua. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the first and the last, the Aleph Vatav, the beginning and the end. You don't have the luxury of taking your eyes off of him for even a millisecond. One of the tragedies that you find when people discover their Hebraic roots, they come in and they acquire all this knowledge They start learning all these things they had never learned before. And they trap all that knowledge in their head. And their head starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger as though you would trap, like you would trap helium or you trap um, hydrogen. And what does it do? It lifts you off the ground. And you start floating around with your big head looking at everybody at how high you are above them at how much you know and about how well you think you're keeping the commandments of God. Well, if you know the story of the Hindenburg, that didn't work out so good, okay? And this is one of the tragedies that happens when people come in. It is not, they take their eyes off Yeshua, it's not being done out of love. What do they say, the farthest distance between two points in the no universe is only 18 inches? The head and the heart. From the head to the heart. That knowledge is supposed to go in to our hearts, amen? So today, I want to give you some warnings because I want to prepare you for what lies ahead. You know, when you step out in faith and, and, and you confess Yeshua and when you begin to walk that faith out in obedience, clinging to Him, there are going to be some things that are going to take place in your life that are going to threaten your journey. There are going to be some things that are going to threaten your relationship with Yeshua When I observe people who are in the process of discovering their Hebraic roots, I often find that the process itself, the exposure to it, it can be a little overwhelming. You know, there are Christians who have been believers for 20 or to 30 years, and now all of a sudden they're hearing things that they'd never heard before. They're seeing things in Scripture that they had never seen before. And the whole experience, while stimulating, while enlightening, invigorating, it can also be humbling. It can also be challenging. For many Christians, we find that they've been told their whole entire life by their pastors, by their parents, by their teachers, by their friends. Their whole sphere has told them the law of God is a curse. And that's what Christ came to do, is to do away with the law. But when you discover When you come to that revelation that, wait a second, Yeshua didn't come to do away with the law. And you search it out, and you search the teachings of Yeshua, and you find that to be true, and you search the teachings of Paul, and you come to the revelation that, wait a second, Paul hasn't taught that the law was done away with. That can be traumatizing. That's earth-shattering. Why? It changes everything. It changes everything in your world. 
the way you read the Bible, the way you view the Bible, the way you apply the principles that you're reading in Scripture to your life. It's a game changer. For example, finding someone who has just found out that they've been going to church on the wrong day their entire life, that's something that can be quite disturbing to you. Frustrations begin to, to, to rise to the surface. Whether you're a new convert or whether you've been a believer in the church for 20 years, one thing I can promise you, when you come into the knowledge and you're discovering your Hebrew roots through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, you make that commitment, your life will never, ever be the same again. Ever. It doesn't matter if you came out from the outside, you're unchurched, or if you've come from being in the church for 20 to 30 years, your life will never, ever be the same again. Because becoming a disciple of Yeshua, you're going to find that you have to completely alter your lifestyle. You're going to have to alter your thought process. The way you reason things in your life is going to have to change. No longer will the dictates of your heart take precedence in your life. Okay? No longer will you be numero uno. The the heart that you've become accustomed to is not going to rule your life. Your world now revolves around Yeshua, the Son of God. And when you make that decision to truly give Yeshua your all, when you're willing to change your schedule, adjust your important schedule for God's schedule, it's going to dramatically impact the way you live amongst a wicked world. A world, mind you, that does not follow God's commandments, that does not follow God's schedule, a world that's going to attempt to get you to compromise your obedience to the Lord, your allegiance to him at every corner. For you to be a disciple, Yeshua, it requires full submission to him. You don't get to hold anything back. He doesn't want 99.999% of you. It has to be 100%. We read in Luke 14, Yeshua tells us, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What is the cost? The cost is everything. It is everything, all of it. This means that nothing can take precedence over him, over serving him. Everything else is secondary and is subject to this principle. We must be willing to forsake all, no matter what the cost. How great might this cost be? We find out in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Yeshua says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Here Yeshua tells us that committing to him, are you serious, may cost me my own family, my blood relatives, those who are closest to me, those whom I cherish, who I desperately love. You have to ask yourself your question, are you willing to pay the price, the cost that you are going to be required to pay to become a disciple of Yeshua? Reading this passage years ago, this was frightening to me. This opened my eyes into what the Lord requires of me. I can cling to nothing in this earth, but I have to keep my eyes, my hands fixed firmly on Yeshua, willing to give anything 
And upon closer review of this passage, what is it that sets a man against his father, a daughter against her mother? What would set all this in motion? What causes the division? Yeshua tells us it's the sword. It's the sword that causes that division. What is the sword? We're told in Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is the sword? It is the Word of God. You will find this imagery used in Scripture often, that the Word of God is likened to a sword. Hebrews 4.4, it's likened to a double-edged sword, sharper. The, The sword is the Word of God. It's the law of God. It's the commandments of God. And guess what's going to divide you? Your application of that word. You gripping on to the righteous commandments, to the holiness of God, changing your life, that is going to separate you. That's how powerful the word of God is. It is your acceptance of it. When you begin to discover your Hebraic roots, this is something you might be confronted with. This is something you may experience. A division may formulate based upon your full submission to Yeshua. This is not to say it's going to happen to all of us. Yeshua's not saying this. But he is warning you, this is what it might cost you. How many of you are truly willing to forsake all and follow him? Yeshua goes on to say in verse 37 in Matthew, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to make a decision. May I offer a suggestion? You make it today. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of today. You remember when Moses, in the Mount Sinai experience, he had come down from the mountain, right? The first time. What did he find Israel doing? Sinning, right? There are some very prolific things that took place as he had come down from the mountain. Things which people study out. Things which people are in awe of. For example, as he had come down, what happened? He cast the tablets out of his hands. The Ten Commandments were broken. The stone tablets were broken. Pretty prolific. We find that he grinds up this calf of gold which they made, throws it in the water, makes Israel drink it. Pretty prolific. But there is something that Moses said that rises above the rest that has always struck me more than anything else that took place at this time. And that is this. Exodus 32, 25, we read, And when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moshe stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. It doesn't get more intense than this. All who are on the Lord's side, come. Now, come to me. Moses drew a line and a sand. The call went out, come to me, those who are on the Lord's side. I am telling you, the line has been drawn in the sand. 
we go to Revelation 18.4, we find the same call. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. You don't come out of her, you're going to die. The line in the sand has been drawn. Who is on the Lord's side? Will you make that decision? Are you going to be on his side? Going back to Exodus 32, verse 27, this is how things went down. And Moshe said to the sons of Levi, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother. You fathom this? They rose up against their very own brethren. Every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moshe. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. That is amazing. What happens? Those who chose to be on the Lord's side, they were separated from their very own brethren. Those who did not choose to go to the side of the Lord. When that, when that line was drawn in the sand, what happened to them? They were killed. Matthew 10, 21, we read, Now brother will deliver brother up to death. A father, his child, children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. All of this because of the word of God, because of your obedience, clinging to his commandments. One thing that you quickly realize in discovering your calling into Israel through faith in Yeshua is just how hard the road is. Just how hard it's going to be. How much you're going to have to sacrifice. How much you're going to have to suffer. It's going to take every ounce of your strength to continue on the narrow path. Which is why Yeshua tells us this in Matthew 7, 14. Narrow is the gate. Difficult. Not easy. Difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. Not many are going to find the narrow path. In John 16, Yeshua goes on and tells us, In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What is the expectations that have been set? We are going to have tribulation. When you really commit to walking in the will of God, keeping his commandments, it's at that point, interestingly enough, that you really discover how difficult the way is. Because all of a sudden, persecution begins to rise up against you that, guess what, never existed before. But when you altered your lifestyle to that of God's, now all of a sudden, persecution has risen up. Persecution from friends, persecution from family, those in your workplace, it's going to come at you from every direction. And for many of you, this is going to be challenging. For many of you, it's going to be emotionally draining, if not all of you. I can't possibly see how it wouldn't be. Yeshua just told me, difficult is the way. In verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 22, he says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Only those who endure to the final end are going to be saved. Another expectation has been thrown out. You're going to be hated by all. Expect it. Revelation 14, 12, we read, Here is the perseverance. Those who endure. 
Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. That's what it means to endure. They have faith in Yeshua. They keep the commandments of God. This is the endurance. This is the perseverance. Make no mistake, as you journey in your faith with Yeshua, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be persecution. Expect it. It's going to happen. The Apostle Paul tells us, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, all who desire to live however they want in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. It's not what it says. Whoever desires to live godly. So amazing how careful and how articulate the Apostle Paul is here. Those who live godly in Messiah Yeshua, those are the ones who are going to suffer persecution. He doesn't just say, if we believe. I want to take you back to the Torah. I want to show you how Israel's exodus out of Egypt really serves as a template. It serves as a picture for us of our calling, this calling into Israel. If we go back to the book of Exodus, early in the book we find that Israel, she's in bondage to Egyptians, to Egypt. And there's a deep spiritual significance here to the story which applies to our own walk. And that is this. Egypt is in fact representative of this world. As Israel was in bondage to Egypt, so too we once were in bondage to this world. Now we all know how the story goes, right? The Lord sends Moses with the assistance of Aaron to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, from the hand of bondage. And what ends up happening here is that the wicked king, Pharaoh, again, who is symbolic of the leader of this wicked and evil age, he is symbolic of Satan, well, we discover Pharaoh refuses to let the children of Israel go. Even, the Lord, even after the Lord sends plagues, great destruction upon Egypt, I'm referring to the first nine plagues that he rained down. And what's, what I find so fascinating about this event is that despite all the fury that God pours out upon Egypt, all this fury that he pours out upon Pharaoh, we find that the children of Israel are not released from bondage. They are not released from the hand of Pharaoh. See, it wasn't until the Pesach lamb's blood was shed. It wasn't until that lamb's blood was shed and applied that the children of Israel were released from the hand of Pharaoh, that they were released from bondage. So it is with us. It's Yeshua's blood that releases us from the hand of Satan, the ruler of this wicked and evil age. It is through faith in Yeshua that the blood is applied, and because of it, we are released in the same way we find Israel released from Pharaoh. I just want, to, I want you to think about something. Going back to the Exodus, and Moses coming out to the children of Israel, that the elders of Israel come here, here's what you need to do. Kill a lamb, take the blood, grab some hyssop, strike the doorpost and the lintel. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be spared certain death. I wonder how many Israelites were blinking at the time. Really, I'm going to kill a lamb and apply some blood, and now I'm, I'm going to save myself from certain death. What did it require? Faith. Faith. I had to believe what he spoken was true. It is exactly the same with us. Even though you and I have not seen Yeshua, 
as the Apostle Paul had, as the other disciples did. What do we do? We apply the blood believing. We move in faith. We know it's going to come to pass. It's good enough for me. So we have Israel being released from the hand of Pharaoh, from the bondage of the Egyptians, by the blood of the Lamb. Now what happens? Well, immediately after being set free from the blood of the Lamb, we find that they are baptized by going through the Red Sea. And we find the Apostle Paul in in 1 Corinthians 10, he utilizes this imagery and he tells them that all of Israel was baptized into the cloud and into the sea. Do you see how this is symbolic? This is amazing. Just look at this. So you have redemption immediately happening. How was Israel redeemed? By the blood of the Lamb. They come out, they're released from bondage. What is the first thing they do? They're baptized. You see how this follows the pattern of salvation? Then what happens? After they're baptized, they get through the Red Sea. Then we find that they are brought to the wilderness of Sinai. They're brought to Mount Sinai, and what are they given? They're given the instructions on how to live. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been baptized, and now the Lord is revealing his instructions for my life and how I am to live. I am reborn. I am born again in what he has done for me. Amen? Now, upon being given these holy commandments, the Torah at Mount Sinai, question, at that point when they were given them, did the Lord teleport them into the promised land? Poof, there you are, you're in the promised land. No. What did he do? He left them in the wilderness. Why would he leave them in the wilderness? We're told in Deuteronomy 8, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you, test you, to know what was in your heart. The Lord put them in the wilderness to test them. What was it that he was seeking to discover in their heart? Because keep in mind, salvation is a matter of the heart. What was God seeking for to find out whether it existed in their heart or not? What was he looking for? Whether you would keep his commandments or not. It's a matter of the heart. So when you're having a conversation with your fellow believers, and they're not interested in the commandments, and they tell you it's it's a matter of the heart, say, I agree. It is a matter of the heart. That's why you keep his commandments. It's always been a matter of the heart. That is the test. Our time here on earth, it's our wilderness. This is our wilderness, and make no mistake, as Israel was tested, you will be tested. And he is looking for your heart What is he looking to discover if you're keeping his commandments? Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 2. We continue in verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You want to make it through this wilderness? You want to make it through this life, through this testing? You're going to need to realize your true sustenance is none other than the word of God. It's Torah. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Yerushalayim. It's that breath, those words that came from his very own lips that he spoke. 
that you will be sustained by. It's the test. It's interesting, in the wilderness, he allowed them to hunger, to suffer, to thirst. Fed them with manna, which they didn't know. The manna, which is known as what? The bread of heaven. The bread from heaven, who Yeshua says, he likens himself to the bread of heaven. I am the bread from heaven. Eat this bread and you will never die. Yeshua is our sustenance. Let me bring this down into a practical, real-life application today. When people discover their Hebraic roots, when they discover the truth about Shabbat, let's just say Shabbat, God's requirement to keep that day holy, that holy, it's as though someone had grabbed a gun for the race, shot and fired that gun and said, let the testing begin. Because you want to have your faith tested, put your job on the line. You want to have your faith tested, put your employment in jeopardy. Unfortunately, something that you're going to find out, yes, you're, you're all fired up and you're rejuvenated, and you've discovered your calling into Israel, your Hebraic roots, one of the things that you can discover is not everybody's excited about it as you are. And that's a drag. That really lets you down because here you got this precious pearl, the kingdom of heaven, and you sold everything for this precious pearl, and you want to show everybody this precious pearl. Nobody's interested. It's a very sad state of affairs. The people are not going to be interested in your observance of Shabbat, especially, may I add, your employer, okay, who wants you to work on Saturdays. Those projections need to be met. We've got to please the people of the world. Or perhaps you own your own business like I did, and your clients feel that you should be serving them instead of God on Shabbat. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars I lost, but of course I don't consider it a loss. It was a gain because I did not compromise Shabbat for the world. I did not compromise the commandments of God for the sake of men and their desires. What do you do when your employer threatens to let you go unless you come in? Are you going to obey God or are you going to cave to the pressures of the wilderness? Are you going to compromise your faith? You are being tested. What if you stand your ground? And then all of a sudden, things get bad. You lose your job because of your allegiance to God. You, 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 times get tough. You, you begin to suffer financially. Are you going to cave or are you going to rely on God? Are you seeking to obey Him or obey the world? What is the cost that you are really willing to pay? One thing I can tell you is God's going to find out how far you're willing to go. We all may be willing to go so far, but He's going to find out those of you who are not willing to go all the way and to lose everything. What are you going to do when your own family starts to put pressure on you? Let's just say again, utilizing the Sabbath, what are you going to do, husbands, when your wife have tears in her eyes because you refused to go to work on Saturday and you lost your job? You're going to cave to the pressures of the wilderness? Or you're going to stand up and be a spiritual leader? Maybe it's not the Sabbath. Maybe it's not the Sabbath you struggle with. Your employer is just fine with you keeping the Sabbath holy. He doesn't have a problem. You got it all worked out at work. What do you do when they ask you to do something else that is contrary to the Word of God? To compromise being a light to the world. To compromise being holy. 
example for you teachers who are out there. What are you going to do when the system starts requiring you to promote homosexuality in the school systems? Are you going to cave? Are you going to compromise your faith? What are you going to do? You roll over, you, you snuff out the light, and you keep your job? Are you going to gain the whole world to lose your soul? We don't want to be like Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew, for sustenance, fleshly sustenance. He sold his birthright. Are you going to sell your birthright for employment? Are you going to sell your birthright for your friends, for family? How far are you willing to go? Because make no mistake, you're going to be tested. Have we really become so perverse in our faith that we actually believe that our sustenance, our provisions, come from our employers? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe our sustenance comes from our clientele? Or even from the diligence of our own hands, rather than the grace of God? You say, Daniel, you don't understand. We made that commitment. We kept the Shabbat. We would not compromise the rest of the commandments, the immorality, idolatry, covetousness. And guess where it got us? We lost our jobs. And now we're losing our house. And thanks a lot. Now we're losing our friends, too. We've lost our money. Basically, we're losing our ever-loving minds. We've lost everything. We have nothing left. Now, certainly, I don't want you to lose any of these things. But it may be the price you pay to serve Yeshua. I don't know how far he's going to drive you and what he's going to expect from you. But one thing I know is we will all have tribulation and every one of us must give 100% of ourselves to him. No compromise. When something conflicts with the word of God, with his commandments, let it go. And instead of complaining about it, like the children of Israel did in the wilderness, turn and give God praise. How many times I'm really working on this, me not complaining about the little stuff, about the tech stuff, I'm working on it. Instead, just giving God praise. Look at, Moses sets a great example for us. In Hebrews 11, 24, he says, says, By faith Moshe, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Messiah greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Take a lesson from Moses. He forsook Egypt. You are called to forsake the world. He looked for the promises that are going to be that he was assured of. He had faith. He wasn't worried about the wrath of the king. Do not crumble to the fear of what is happening in this country right now. We are not to be children of fear, are we? Power, love, and sound mind. These are the things we are to stand on. I want to take you back to Israel's journey in the wilderness because I want to give you an update to see how they're faring. Exodus 21, verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people, 
pay attention, became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. You see what's happening here? Israel is losing heart. They're becoming discouraged. They're becoming impatient. God is not doing what they think he should be doing. Things are not going well. And though the children of Israel had been redeemed by the blood, they weren't experiencing this great land flowing with milk and honey as they were promised. Here we see they're complaining, not have food or water. How many of you have food and water? I think we all do. The Lord tested Israel in the days of the wilderness, and we will be tested in our wilderness this day. The Lord's testing, make no mistake, the Lord's testing is the Lord's testing. Why were these things written? According to Paul, Romans 15, they were written for our didascalia, for our learning, our doctrine. The things that were written before are written for you. The way we're reading it today is the intent of Torah. It was the intent of the scriptures to work in our lives. I want to fast forward a little bit. Israel's journey. I'm going to take you to Numbers 14. And we're going to find how the wilderness was getting the better of them. Numbers 14.2 And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us... Uh, to this land, to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. It's horrifying. They caving to the pressures of the wilderness. They had everything stripped from them. All these wonderful things that they had in Egypt. The melons, the leeks, the so on all taken from them. And what did they want? Did they want to persevere to the Lord? They wanted to turn back to Egypt. This is what's going to happen. Satan, as you come to discover your your Hebraic roots, your calling in Israel, he's going to seek to get you back. He wants you back and he's going to draw you out. And when you're going through all the hardship and tribulation, he's going to tell you, you don't need this. Just come back. Go take that job. That asks you to compromise your faith in God. How'd that work out for Lot's wife? Yes, she was moving out, who was not even supposed to turn her head and look back because her heart was back there. It was back in Sodom. He killed her. She's dead because she turned back. We can never turn back, no matter how bad it gets. And I'm going to tell you, this is my own opinion. I think it's going to get really bad in this country, really fast. And you need to be prepared. You need to understand it's going to cost. You need to understand there's going to be tribulation and hardship. There's going to be tears of sorrow. Luke 9:62, we read, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let that sink in. Lot's wife, she took her hand off the plow. She looked back. She merely looked back, gave her heart back to Sodom, longed for that which the Lord took her out of. 
The Lord gave her grace. The Lord showed her mercy. But she looked back. Children of Israel looked back to Egypt. We can't look back. There is no back. I'm going to close with this statement found in Deuteronomy 6. We read, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of these testimonies, these statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? It's interesting here. This is the way it should be. Your children should be asking you, Why are you doing these things? What is the meaning of keeping Pesach? Why do you keep Sabbath? Why do you not commit adultery? Why do you not commit sexual immorality? Why are you not doing these things? They should be prompted. Why? Because their parents are setting an example. We learn in verse 21, Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Verse 23, Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The music team can come back up. This is it. We should be going, teaching our kids about the commandments. They should be asking us why we do these things. And we tell them because Yeshua died for us. We were redeemed by the blood of Yeshua. We were baptized. And now because of what he did, we keep his commandments. And what does Yeshua say? If you love me, keep my commandments. That is it. Shabbat Shalom.